0: Again, we're going to be in Romans chapter 1 this morning. We're going to put a little bow on our uh, series that we spent the last three weeks in, now the fourth here, on asking the question, why do we go? Why are missions important in the life of every believer and in the life of the church? Uh, Several guys, you know, we get together on Mondays and we study the text and we're just asking God to show us The truth of his word as we prepare to stand before you week after week making sure that we want to honor God and one of the guys was sharing a story as we were preparing this text he said you know there was a day that I got diagnosed with cancer and that day the the oncologist told me I'm going to stop talking now because you're not with us you are facing your own mortality See, you always knew that you were going to die, but now you're kind of believing that that day's a little bit closer uh, than you thought it was. But if you don't hear anything else I tell you, I want you to hear this. What you have is not only treatable, it's curable. You know, and and that was just a story that kind of made an impact on me because I believe it's the exact message that the Bible shares with the world. The bottom line is every one of us has this disease in us that has a death sentence hanging over us. Now, it may not be cancer, but it is what Scripture calls sin. That's why Romans 3 says, For all of sin to come short of the glory of God. So we all have this uh, death sentence hanging over us, but because of God's love and God's grace, he sent his son to die in our place. So that the power and the penalty of sin could not only be treatable, but in fact, curable. And so, we need to understand why is it that we are so passionate about sharing the gospel. This morning's one big thing is simply going to be this. If you don't get anything else out of the next 30 to 40 minutes, I hope you walk away with this. That the gospel is the only way a person can be saved. Because this is the truth that we must grasp and we must wrestle with. So let's look at it, how it plays out in Scripture. I'm going to start in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm going to ask, if you're able, would you stand as we just honor God's Word in the reading of it? Romans 1, verse 16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Would you pray with me? Fathers, we continue to worship this morning. God, we praise you for Shine and the ministry that they have and the blessing that they have brought uh, with them. And uh, Lord, we want to continue to worship, but now focusing on your word. And so God, I ask that you would just get me out of your way. Lord, help me to understand that I need you in this message as desperately as everybody else who is here this morning, as well as those who are going to listen to it on the podcast later. And so God, we just ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth from your word in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The gospel is the only way that a person can be saved. Now I'm going to go ahead and and let you know that's probably going to be one of, and maybe the most offensive thing I'll say all morning long. We live in a society that is offended by the exclusivity of the gospel, but church, we have to fight for it. We have to stand on it, not because we can expound all the truths of God's word, but because this is God's word. He never asked my opinion before he recorded what he did. So why is it that we preach the gospel? Well, the first thing I would say is this. It's in verse 16, we preach the gospel because it is for everyone. I am very unapologetic when I say that the gospel is available for all people. Now, it's not automatic. We understand that. But what Paul says here in verse 16 would have been very offensive. It would have been offensive to a Roman citizen, but also a Jewish person as well. See, when he says that it is the power of God, talking about the gospel, if you were to go up and ask a Roman citizen, when you think of the word power, what would you think of? They're going to give you one of two responses, Caesar or the Roman Empire. At that time, it was the most powerful empire on the face of the earth. Nobody could stop it or stand in its way. And so for a Roman citizen, Rome was power. And yet here comes Paul going, no, no, no. Let me tell you something. There's somebody that's more powerful than Caesar. There's something more powerful than the Roman Empire. And it is God and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, man, this would have been offensive. And I kind of see some of this even within our own nation. You know, when people say uh, in America, all right, what's power? We think president or, or the government, and we think of America itself. And let's be honest, we are a blessed nation, right? You and I came in here to worship, and there was nobody outside trying to keep us from coming in. All right, God has blessed us with a powerful economy, uh, great ingenuity. We have the most powerful military on the face of the planet. Those are all things that we think of power. Yet Paul would go, you know what, as great as America is and as blessed as America is, guess what, there's something more powerful than than that. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, And this is you and I, our ultimate allegiance must be to Christ above all things. But it would have also been really offensive for this to a Jewish person. Because if you go up to a Jewish person and say, well, when you think of power, what do you think of? They're going to go, well, me, because I'm Jewish. You know, I'm one of God's chosen. I'm good. Or they're going to tell you, well, I try to keep the, the law. I try to fulfill the Mosaic law, all 613 commandments of it. You know, I I strive to to do that. And so they believed that they were right with God for this. And yet Paul, looking at them, would go, no, 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 listen. The gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. It's not your human effort. It's not your human genealogy. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that alone that gives you a right standing with God. So this would have been offensive to a jewish person but it could even be offensive to people here because how many of you have ever in talking with people and trying to share the gospel have asked do you think you're a good person now what does everybody say if i ask you are you a good person most people are going to say what sure well we go no you're not but but i go to church i read the bible I'm a pastor for crying out loud. i got to be a good person. No, no you don't. This is the conversation that Paul is having. See, the reality is the gospel is always going to be offensive. All right, there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who perish. But it's life to those who believe. And so Paul is being an equal opportunity offender right now. I can just imagine what his social media post would be like if he was alive today. Um, he wouldn't be like, that's for sure. And that's okay. Now, if Paul was here and he was preaching to the people who grew up in church. How many of you grew up in church? Okay. Um, here's a joke I kind of tell around here. When I was young, I had a drug problem. Uh, my grandparents drug me to church every week. Okay. <laughs> Thank you all for laughing. makes me feel a little better. I always get a little nervous when you make a drug reference in church. But, you know, we we, we talk about this. And so I grew up in church. Now, how many of you, let's just be honest, we're all family here, okay? How many of you grew up in church but you didn't really get church and sometimes you didn't want to go to church? Just going to be honest. Okay, I mean, the, the reality is... I made a decision for Christ at seven. I was baptized a year later, and then I was dropped. Like, the the church got what they wanted out of me. I was a number that they could report to a convention, but they didn't want to disciple me. They didn't want to help me grow in my faith. They didn't explain what the gospel meant, not just that I was lost, but what does God expect me from me now that I'm saved? And so I went years really, really struggling. Fact of the matter, not to earn brownie points um, with with Sean and those who are here, it wasn't until 2002 when I entered Liberty University that God really started stoking that fire of wanting to understand what it means to be a man of God. And and it's really, if you would have asked me 21 years ago, what are you going to do with the rest of your life that's going to make you happy and make you feel like you have purpose? I would have been able to answer just like that. I'm going to be a ball player. I, I, I don't look the same. 21 years has been kind of hard on me. Um, or maybe I've been hard on that 21 years, but um, I was a ball player. I mean, from, from the time I could walk, there was a ball in my hand. I am by nature a shy person. Big, thank you for not laughing at that, okay? Big crowds intimidate me. I am a nerd. Give me a office. Give me a Greek Bible and dictionary and let me be. I was a ball player though. And and God said, no you're not. If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans, by the way. But but here's the thing. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of, of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. Once I entered into Liberty University and God really got a hold of my heart, then I began to wrestle with this truth to understand that I was created by this awesome, eternal, sovereign God for something bigger than me. And that my life was not going to be defined by what made me happy, but by what brought God the most glory. And this is what it means when he says, it's the power of God and salvation to everyone that believes. Now we have no problem believing that some of us in here are saved because, well, we're in church on a Sunday. But do you understand that the power of the gospel is just as powerful for those who will never darken the door of a church? That Jesus Christ loves them the same as he loves you and I? That the gospel can not only reach a church-going person, but it can reach a drunk and a drug addict and somebody who has been abused or an abuser. I want you to think about this. The most vile person in all of history, whoever is coming into your mind right now, Jesus Christ died for them. And that's, this is what Paul is getting at. We preach the gospel because it is for everyone. God did not put me in this place to judge anybody. He put me in this place to bring him glory and to point others to him. And this is what we have to get back to if we are going to reclaim not only our communities, not only our commonwealth, but our country and the world. We've got to get back to the gospel because it is alone for everybody. But what would Paul say to that person who's here and going, you know what? I messed up in life. Like, I know I'm a sinner and I feel like I've messed up so bad that God couldn't love me. What would God say to him? Well, I'll tell you exactly what Paul would say. Romans chapter 5 verse 20, if you want to write it down. It's where he writes this. Where sin did abound, grace did abound much more. God's going, you can't out my grace. That's good news. Because I can look back over my life and see all the mistakes that I made, all those times that God should have wrote me off, th- those times where I lost family and friends because of poor decisions I was making. Yet when I come to Romans chapter 5, verse 20, I'm reminded of this, that God's grace is sufficient and it is more powerful than my sin. Changed my life and I wanted to change yours because so often we look at people especially all around this world and people get written off because of what they've done or who they are and all these things yet God is going I died for you like I know the world says you're trash I know they're saying you're nothing and you made all these mistakes I'm going to tell you what I know I love you And I died for you to prove it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You can't get past that whoever. Because that's whoever will. The gospel is for everybody. That if we repent, which is to turn away from our sin. And we turn in faith to Jesus. He will not turn us away. But we also preach the gospel because we ask another question how can I know for sure that I'm saved? Uh, the, president, uh, the current president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Dr. J.D. Greer, uh, pastor down on Summit Church in Raleigh, Durham, he wrote a book several years ago called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart, How to Know That You're Saved. Uh, I don't do this very often, but I would encourage you, that's a good book to read. It's a pretty short book. Um, but it's all about being able to have the assurance of your salvation. How many of you know this morning that God wants you to know whether you're saved or not? Like God doesn't want to play, he's not playing cosmic hide and seek with you. He wants you to know. But how can we do it? Because there in verse 17, what we find out is that faith is revealed by how we live. It says, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, The just shall live by faith. You see, You and I need to come to this understanding that salvation is by God alone, in grace alone, through faith alone. Three of the five solas of the Protestant Reformation. That it is God's plan accomplished by God's Son for God's glory and for our good. And that we have to live this out. I can add nothing to what Jesus did. Okay, it's not that God is going, yeah, you need to have faith, and they need to go go do all these works so that you can be saved. No, no, I'm either saved by grace alone or I'm not. But we have to understand that how you and I live has an impact. Every one of you, we, we did this a couple weeks ago here as we were going through this series, I asked this question, how many preachers do we have in this room? And they did then what you're doing now going, I only see one. But the reality is, Scripture would say a preacher is a proclaimer, a herald of good news, which means this, if you're a blood-bought, born-again child of God, you are a preacher. Every day when you go, whether you're going to class or you're going to work, you're going to the gym, wherever you go, every day you are preaching a sermon in two ways, by what you say and by how you live. It's really easy for us to say we're Christian. Does my life back that up? That's really the question that he's getting at because he says the just, those that have been justified, those that are saved, they're going to reveal that because they will live by faith. Now, the word faith is another word that we throw out in church an awful lot. But what does that word mean? Well, faith is this. It's a conviction or belief that we have that is evident to others by how we live. So, in other words, my life should back up the fact that I'm a Christian. The things I post on social media should glorify God and reveal that I'm a Christian. Everything I do ought to be pointing others to Christ. See, if the hero of this story is anybody other than God, you're believing a false gospel. God's the hero, not me. But we we look at at this, and and there in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, it says, For without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you and I don't have a conviction of who he is and what he did, we can't please God. It's impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that he is. Now that's more than just a mental, uh, intellectual assent to the existence of God. Because if that's all that was required to be saved, well, then James 1 would tell us that even the demons are saved because they believe that there's one God, but they tremble. So it's not just an intellectual assent that's required. To believe that God is means that I'm going to live in such a way that because I know he exists, because he is who he says he is in Scripture, I'm going to live according to Scripture so that I can please Him. I'm going to demonstrate my faith by how I live. And the result of that is the end of Hebrews eleven six 6, that says, and that He is a reward for those who diligently seek Him. That if, you're, that if you are purposefully, intentionally, in trust, seeking God, He is not going to turn you away. One of my favorite passages in the Old Testament it is a very popular one. It's used around graduation time. Most of you who worship here regularly are familiar with it. it says, it's Jeremiah 29. We always start in verse 11 where he says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. We love to put that on bumper stickers and coffee mugs. Okay, We're like, hey, yeah, God's got great plans for me and all this, but back up because context is king you you can tell all right what what what's that verse about well back it up one verse for thus says the lord that after 70 years be accomplished at babylon i will visit you and perform my good word towards you and causing you to return to this place for i know the thoughts or the plans that i have for you says the lord so what he was saying is this i am not going to waste your pain because the pain that you are experiencing in life because of sinful choices Okay, that that pain is going to be used for this, verses 12 and 13. Then you will call on me, and you will go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what your week's been like, but I do know this, that the eternal sovereign God has a plan for everything you're experiencing right now. That even in your pain and suffering, it is revealing the all-sufficiency of Christ. It is revealing the power of the gospel. See, we don't want to love Jesus because of what he can give us. We want to love and live for Jesus for who he is. There's no other person that's worthy of my love, my affection, my time, and my attention. There's nobody else in this world that is worthy for getting up And coming and worshiping with complete strangers. But Jesus is. Jesus is worth getting out of our comfort zone. Risking being ridiculed and persecuted so that we can make him known. He is worth that. And some of you are going to go into ministry. And that's awesome. That's an incredible responsibility and a privilege that God has given you. But even if you're not in full-time ministry, I want you to hear this. You have a ministry. Wherever God places you, it's for a plan and a purpose to point others to Him. And understand that privilege. This is why we must live it out. So here's another question I would ask. What is this text calling us to do? I want to give you two things just very quickly. The first one I would say is this. Examine your life. All right, I'm going to show my age uh, here again. Back when I was younger, there was a, then, a contemporary Christian band. They no longer exist. Uh, They're called DC Talk. The Liberty kids are gone. yeah, we know. Uh, That's because they're Liberty students, or were, okay? But they came out, they, they were great, okay? Everybody listened to DC Talk. And there was this one song. It's called, What If I Stumble? And there's an opening monologue in that song that says, the greatest cause of atheism in the world today is this. It's Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but then deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Man, that's rough. That, that Sunday morning, stepping on your toes, tough. But I think it's important that you and I examine our life. You know, 75% of America says that they are Christians. You know why? Because they're not atheists, they're not Muslim, they're not Taoist, they're not Buddhist, they're not Hindus. In other words, they go, well, I'm a Christian because I'm not any of those other things. So does that make them Christian? No. Not any more Christian than you and I, if we say we're Christian, but then our life lives the exact opposite way. What is it in your life that if somebody was to come up to you and say, Are you a Christian? You go, yes. How do you know? What would you point to? We have to constantly examine our life to see if the choices that you and I are making, are they honoring God? Are they drawing us closer to Him? Are they pushing us further from God? Are they drawing others closer to God? Are they pushing them away? We need to examine our life. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, to examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Because the reality is there's a lot of people who say, yes, I'm saved. Yes, I'm a Christian. But then their life points to a very different reality. Now, does that mean that Christians are going to be perfect? Not this side of eternity. We're going to fall short every single day, multiple times a day. And guys, if you're married and you're not sure if you messed up today, go ask your wife. She'll tell you. Yes, you messed up. Okay? For all of sin to come short of the glory of God. We we know this, so we're not going to be perfect, but we need to do what King David did in Psalm 139. There in Psalm 139, he, he says in the last two verses, Search me, O God. And know me. Reveal to me if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This was David, a man that in the book of Acts says is a man after God's own heart. A man who lied, who committed adultery, who committed murder. Just so we're clear on who this is. He's still called a man after God's own heart. So he wasn't perfect, but he sought God. And this is David going. Lord, I'm going to lay my life open to you now. God, I want you to show me if anything I'm doing is sinful. Is there anything I'm saying that's sinful? God, is there anything I'm thinking that's sinful? God, I want you to reveal that to me. Because I don't want to, I don't want to do anything that displeases you. Can I ask you, when was the last time you had that honest of a conversation with God? When was the last time you just got in a little place of your own, whether it's a dorm, whether it's your bedroom, wherever, and just said, all right, Lord, talk to me. What are you trying to do in my heart life? What's there that shouldn't be there? One thing we try to talk about here is every time we open scripture, we ought to be asking three questions. Number one, what does this te- text teach me about God? Because from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus Christ. What am I learning about God? Number two, is there a sin that God's trying to point out to me? And if it is, I want to be confessing it right there. number three, What is this text asking me to do? Because God didn't save you to sit sour and soak. He saved you that you might serve. Okay? So what is God asking me to do? And then the fourth thing is just simply, Lord, I need you to do it. Because I can't do this on my own. For without me, you could do nothing. But we need to have those honest conversations. I know they're hard. Okay, I know it's so much easier to get swept up in the things of the culture and all the things going on around us. But the greatest teacher who ever lived, Jesus, the God the Son and the Son of God, he said, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt's lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's good for nothing except to be thrown out, trampled under by men's feet. You and I will point others to Christ, not by blending into the world, but by standing out from the world. And that doesn't mean we get up on our holy high horse, all right? But it does mean that my life is marked as different. And when people see me, they're going, there's something strange about this guy. And I got to know what it is. And my answer to that is, I'm glad you asked, let me tell you. And you go right into a time of telling them about the grace and the glory of Jesus Christ. So, have you examined your life? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are, in fact, a born-again child of God? The second thing I believe this text is calling us to do is this. We're going to end this series right where we started, right there. Proclaim the gospel to everybody. There are two assumptions that most people make that are false and dangerous. The first assumption is this. Well, they go to church, they must be Christian. That's about as true as if I walked into a garage and called myself a mechanic. Anybody who knows me knows this. I'm not a mechanic. I'm, I'm what my grandfather referred to as a gopher. Go for this, go for that. Not a handyman. Don't fall on the false assumption that just because they go to church just because they seem like they're a good person, they got their stuff together, that they're Christian. Because you know what Jesus would say? Man, this is hard. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done all these marvelous works in your name? And Jesus said, and I will look at them and say, depart from me, you cursed, for I never knew Jesus wasn't talking to the drug addict or or the prostitute or or any of those people. He was talking to the religious crowd. Did you hear? They were saying all the things they did for Jesus. And Jesus going, yeah, man, you did all that. That's great. You preached sermons. You taught Sunday school. You uh, led worship. You did all that. That's great. But you didn't do the one thing that's necessary to be saved. You never surrendered to my grace and trusted in me and me alone to save get out man don't believe just because they go to church or they wear a suit they gotta be right ask them. you know one of the greatest things I get to do during the week is I get to ask people share with me your testimony tell me how God saved you And, and if somebody comes up and goes hey do you know you're saved and you go yeah and they go well prove it don't get offended share what God has done So you can fellowship together. The second assumption that's often made is this. Well, nobody wants to hear the gospel in America today. Now I'm going to grant you, we are a very different nation today than we were at our founding. It's not my goal to be offensive with this, but it it possibly could be. Um, I believe that by and large part, we are a post-Christian nation uh, I believe that we have left the truth of Scripture for the opinions of man. And that's got to break our hearts. We don't want to sit in our churches and go, oh, I remember the good old days. No, no. We've got to get out there and, and reclaim what God planted. But so often people will say, well, they don't want to hear the gospel. And I'm kind of a blunt guy. And so when I hear a Christian say, well, I don't share the gospel because nobody wants to listen to it. Here's the first thing that pops into my head, and sometimes the first thing that pops out of my mouth. Oh, okay, so that's your excuse for being lazy and not fulfilling the great commission that Jesus gave you. See, I'm convinced of this church that, the, that America and many around the world, they're not against the gospel It's the church has closed its mouth with the gospel. We're not sharing it. 2% of Christians have shared the gospel in the last 30 days. You want to know why 75% of North America doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You want to know why my generation and the one after me has the largest number of religious unaffiliates in history? It's not because the gospel has changed. It's not that God will not save people. It's the Christians are refusing to share it. We don't be labeled as weird. Oh, you're a Bible thumper. I don't know if it's the same now, uh, but when I would say I was uh, a a student or a graduate at Liberty, this is what I'd always, oh, you're a Jerry's kid. Yeah. We we, we don't want to be labeled. We, we don't want to offend anybody, but we are offending somebody. The God who bought us with his blood. See, we got to love God. we got to love others so much that we will risk being ridiculed and persecuted so that they can hear the truth. Now, I'm going to grant you, you're going to share the gospel with a lot of people, and they're not going to make a decision. I got it. But I know this, Scripture has promised God will save some. Who? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 13. So I know God's going to save some. So this is what I I want to challenge myself to do. Keep sharing. Yeah, I'm going to be rejected. Yes, they're they're not going to want to hear. That's fine. They're not rejecting me. They're rejecting God. I want to go on and keep sharing the gospel because I believe this. God will give us a front row seat to experience and to watch the grace that he bestows on people to save a wretch like me, like you, and like them. One reason I'm so passionate about the gospel is I know what it's done in my life. I know who I was. And I know who God's making me. Now I have to constantly tell my wife, please be patient with me. God's not done with me yet. They've got some pretty rough edges. But man, I love what Paul says in Philippians 1. Being confident this very thing that he that's begun a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ. Allow your sin to point you to Jesus. I know you're probably feeling kind of beat down right now. I know you're, you're, you're just sitting there thinking of all the ways and the mistakes that you've made. Don't listen to the lie of Satan. Satan's trying to tell you, see, told you you weren't good enough. Told you God couldn't love you, God couldn't use you. Jesus is going, check out my hands. Of course I can save you. I died for you. Allow your sin and the heaviness that it is to point you to Jesus and praise him for his grace. And to know that if God can save me and if God can save you, then he can certainly save them. And allow that to propel you to go out and to share the gospel with people. But I want to ask this question, I'm going to wrap it up. What about you? I praise God that you came here. As I told you in the opening, we, we pray every single week, Lord, would you send people who need to hear of your grace and your gospel and who need to experience it. And he did. Every time we prayed it, he's come through. But what about you? Do you know that you have accepted the grace of Christ? What can you point to in your life to say, this is how I know? And if you're on the fence, you're not sure, or you're going, listen, I know him now welcome. I'm glad you're here. You are who we're praying for. But don't leave here the same way you came in. Allow the grace of God to meet you where you are so that he can save you and he can begin to change you. Because he'll do it. Would you stand with me as we're going to pray together. Fathers, we, we come to you Moving into the next part of a time of worship. And God, we praise you for this day. We praise you for the talent and the abilities that you have given these young men and women from shine. And just, God, we're amazed at how they are allowing you to use them. And God, I thank you for all those who have come here regularly to Westlake. And Lord, they just continue... To love you and to love others and father it's so easy to go through a service and then just try to get to the end and say okay I'm done I can go home now but lord we know that worship is a verb it's not something we attend it's something we do and so god I just pray that we would worship this morning because worship means responding to you responding to your word Lord you know where every person is here you know whether they have trusted you or not They know you know whether they are struggling to walk by faith or not and so God I pray that your Holy Spirit just continues to speak and that we would respond whether it's coming up to this altar and praying whether it's praying with me, whether it's praying at this front pew Lord it's not to be seen by people but it's just to simply respond to you and your grace. And so we give this time to you. We pray that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. As you continue to stand, there's going to be a song sung, and I just want to encourage you on this. If you need to respond to what you've heard, now's the time to do it. Let's worship.